0: All right, what a powerful thing. Uh, here's going to be a shout moment. If you're new at this church, we're going to shout in just a second. We're, I'm going to shout, I love God and I love y'all, and they're going to shout back. So don't get scared about that. Ready? Uh, I love God and I love you. I love God and I love you. Oh, Amen. Oh, Amen. We're finishing up our series here in Proverbs. We're talking about like how wisdom can affect our lives. And, and we looked at five Proverbs that will affect us and God and, and five Proverbs that will affect us with other people. And today we're going to look at five Proverbs about general life, how to navigate this life. Well, Proverbs are just words of wisdom, the things that we can live by in our everyday life that will just help us navigate our time on this planet better. And so we're going to look at five this morning about uh, uh, how to go through this life just a little bit better, some wisdom from God. <clears throat> Uh, What we did in that sponsor time, that's exactly what our first proverb is about. So keep that in mind. Here's this first proverb. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce, uh, with with all that you produce. Uh, Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So this proverb just says, give back to God from your wealth as a sacrifice of recognition that God gave it to you. Here again, we see in the Bible that there is an assumption of wealth and the goodness of that wealth if if that wealth is used properly. Look, I always say that you should do two things if you have any money. If you have any wealth at all, you should should enjoy it and you should be generous with it. Those are the two that I always say. But after reading through this study uh, for the last couple of weeks, I'm going to add a third to it. You, You need to enjoy it. You need to be generous with it. But you always got to honor God with your money. And so that's what this proverb is kind of saying. And this honoring God is about monetarily giving back to God, and it comes in two forms in the proverb that we see honoring God with our wealth, and then honoring Him with our first fruits. Those are two different things. Uh, first fruits is this idea of our first and our best, not our last and our leftovers. In both Christian and Jewish circles, uh, this is oftentimes ca- called a tithe. And it's a really religious word that outside of the religious community, nobody really uses this word. But a tithe is this idea of giving God the first 10% of whatever you produce. So if you're a shepherd uh, and you have uh, 10 sheep born that year, you give one sheep over to God. And if you're a farmer and you have 10 stalks of corn, you give one stalk of corn over to God. And so it's this idea of giving your first and your best to God, and it comes in the form of a 10%. Now, for any of us who, who don't raise crops or don't have sheep, uh, it would be ten percent of our income, and so that 's what that that first fruits is talking about when we give to God an we give it in active anticipation that he's going to continue to provide. It's almost like saying this. So, so when we, we, we got our money, we know it's really tight. It seems all budgeted out. It doesn't seem like we have enough. But if we can trust God with the first 10%, it's like saying this. It's like saying, God, like, I can give you the first and the best because I know that you are faithful, because I know that you will continue to provide. See, God doesn't get, get, pay your bills, do all this, do all this, and then if I have some left over, I'm going to give to God. That's not faith, and that's not asking God to provide. That's you making a plan and figuring it out. God says, you give me the first and the best, and I'll take care of this. Your 90% will go farther than your 100% would have gone. And that's what this proverb tells us. That's what other parts of the Bible tells us. The second idea is honoring God with your wealth. And uh, maybe you don't have wealth, and so this might not be for you today, but maybe you get wealth in 10 years or 15 years, and this might be for you then. Honoring God with your wealth is what I would term something like generous giving or extravagant giving. I often say that tithing is the training wheels of giving. Like it's the required minimum, right? But minimums are not meant to be maintained. Whoever got a job at minimum wage who desired to stay there the entire time. Man, this is the best. I want to stay at minimum. That's what I want to stay at, right? No, if you've worked a minimum job wage, your goal is to get out of minimum to go up, right? And so the same is with giving. Tithing is the minimum. That's the training wheels of giving. And then giving from our wealth or honoring God from our wealth is is going outside of that. And to say, God, I'm going to strive to give you more. Minimum is the First, I mean, it's not the finish, it's the start. Uh, That tithe is the beginning, not the end. So wisdom says that God will take care of the person that honors him with their wealth. Like your barn's being filled with plenty, like that's a really wonderful principle. Now, we're not saying that God promises everyone to be rich, but the the Bible has this word of wisdom that says, look, when you are faithful with your money, God is going to be faithful to you. He's going to demonstrate plenty to you. He's going to take care of you It's not a give-to-get scheme, but it's a word of wisdom that says God sees your heart, He sees your giving, He sees how you're honoring Him, and He's going to provide for you. There's only one way to find out. Put it to the test. That's it. Try. Put it to the test. See if God is faithful. And God will demonstrate Himself to be faithful. Remember, you can't outgive God. This proverb is about outward wealth, but our next proverb is about inward wealth in God's eyes. It comes from uh, Proverb chapter 4. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity, keep corrupt talk from your lips, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, give careful thought to the paths of your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. The heart is the command center of an individual. Not as in Western, in Western society we say the heart is our emotional center. But that's not the case for the Hebrews or the, or the Greeks as we read our Bible. The heart is your command center. It's the inner person where decisions and actions and, and life directions are made. And that must be protected at all costs. Because as, as Satan keeps special watch at your inner man, at your inner person, we better keep special watch as well. Because if the heart is captured, then the whole person's, your affections, desires, motivations, pursuits, then they'll all be handed over. There's a great reward to one who guards their heart, keeping it for wisdom. They get to enjoy life. They get to have light and they get to have love flowing out of their heart because everything that you do flows from this place like a bountiful spring of water. See, the unguarded heart sees a choking and a restriction of the joy and the peacefulness that God wants for you. See, that's what this, this, this proverb is getting at. Like you, wanna, you want a fresh spring heart just pouring out goodness and sweet water. But the moment we don't got our heart, it starts to corrupt and, and, and restrict and restrain. And then, our, and then our lives end up being hurt by it. One of the great enticements of sin is that it's fun. And then sin promises some happiness. And on a temporary ba- basis, maybe. There are sins that are really fun. And uh, in the long term, it's a lie. That's the thing about sin. For a short time, it may taste really good for a minute, but ultimately, it lies in bitterness. Guarding our hearts may mean that we have to say a temporarily painful no to some excitement or some enticement of sin in our lives in order to get a long-term happiness and joy and righteousness. Like, though it may not seem immediately or instinctively apparent, avoiding sin is better for us. And we know that since God designed us and he created us, then when he makes commands for us, it's for our benefit. It's for our goodness. It's for our building up, not for our detraction. So God says, like, hey, you need to avoid that. It's not because he's like, I don't want you to have fun. It's, it's because I don't want you to be hurt. But it seems so fun. It's not, ow, <laughs> like, Right. Like, she's so cute, you're 16. No, she's so cute, we should be married. No, you shouldn't, not when you're 16, right? You should not do that. But it seems fun. Ouch, I got hurt by that. That's I told you to just be patient. Told you to wait and and do it right with families and and marriage and that sort of stuff. See, God, his commands for us are always good and for our well-being, even if we can't see it. So the process of guarding the heart Like that comes through, it's really cool, it comes through guarding our our mouth and our eyes and our minds. And so it's almost like it's working its way up, right? So I want to guard my heart, so I guard my mouth. Don't allow speech to hurt you by hurting other people. We looked at this last week. Avoid sinful talk or perverted jokes or hateful speech or lies or half-truths or divisive grumbling, talking crap about somebody talking gossip about somebody. Avoid that kind of thing. That is sin's trap right there. You want to guard your heart, you got to guard your mouth. Then you got to guard your eyes. Keep your eyes from evil. Man, how easily sin loves to enter through the gateways of our eyes, right? I think immediately of like pornography how that's destroyed so many people right through the gateway of the eye. Coveting things that you see, right? We see somebody who's rich. They got they got a nicer car than me. They got they got a a nicer house than me. They've got nicer bling than me. Mine's stainless steel, like <laughs> for two dollars from China, right? They got they got all this other stuff, and it enters through the eyes, jewelries or clothes or whatever else. How about the comparison of beauty? You look at that magazine and you're like, man, that that, that dude's ripped, like, <laughs> man. <laughs> or you look at that. You know, girls, you're comparing yourself to this girl. Look how skinny she is. Look how fake she looks. I mean, she looks fake to me, but look how, like, whatever she looks, right? And so sin enters that. We start to have self-doubt and shame and feel like we're not worthy because these people are so much better or more beautiful, and we start this comparison game. And that's sin entering through our eyes because we're looking at these other things. So we've got to guard them. You've seen those like blinders on horses, right? You can't have them literally, but I think that like that actually we have to do that a little bit in our life. Where we both put blinders onto some of the actual literal stuff that we look at and we just look away. And in a spiritual sense we do that too. Man, I could be dwelling on this in, the, in my mind's eye, but I'm not going to. Look away from the things that you ought not to be viewing and look onto the things of God. And and the last one here is talking about mind. What are you thinking about? What do you read? What are you given careful thought to? How, you, how do you plan? How do you, how do you look at your soul's growth? And, and how do you think about living to honor God? Like we need to guard our minds. And I hope that we really hear this. This is like a critical word of wisdom that we can implement today. Like right now, God says, hey, you want to live a better life? Here's the way. You've got to start guarding that mind. And it happens through your mouth and your eyes and your mind. You've got to guard that heart. I hope that we, we hear that word this morning. Um, because it matters for you. But it also matters for your children. Now, if you don't have children yet, maybe this isn't going to uh, be totally relevant right now. But, but guarding your heart matters for your kids. Check out the next proverb. It says the righteous person, or the godly person, they walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. See, the integrity of parents will extend to the lives of the children. How you live affects your kids. This is universal. It's normal. You can't avoid it. You can't somehow become the one parent where kids don't follow after you. That isn't going to happen. They absolutely always will follow after you. I was uh, the, my son got his permit yesterday. My middle son got his permit yesterday. Woo! Right? And at the <laughs> at the I know big guy. Huh? So be careful uh, if you're leaving the parking lot at any time where we are, or if you're parked near any of our cars. Um, <coughs> But uh, in the DMV, uh, there was a sign, um, not this time I saw it before, there was a sign that says, do you want your kids to drive safe? And there's, yeah, and then the next slide pops up and it says, then you better drive safe. I was like, oh, the DMV has recognized this proverb, right? (laughs) I'm glad the DMV is reading the Bible because it's, now they're reading it really slowly. We were at the DMV for two hours. They're like, well, I'm in Proverbs 1. They got all like... uh, Uh, What did that movie was? Yeah, the sloth thing in that movie. I don't know what it is, but Splash, slash, Splash. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a misnomer. So that's the DMV, right? And so the DMV is recognized that if you want your kids to drive safe, then you better drive safe. You can't tell your kids to drive safe as you drive like a maniac. It just doesn't work, right? And you can't tell them, do as I say, not as I do, because that doesn't ever work for anybody, right? If you want your kids to value God and church, then you better not be consistently late. Because when you are, guess what? Your kids are like, hey, church doesn't matter that much. You say, yes, it does. Do what I say, not what I do. You, your kids better see you praying if you think that God is important. You better have prayed with your kids if, if God is an important thing to you because they're going to follow the way that you lead. Kids always copy parents even when they don't intend to, right? Have you ever caught yourself as a parent sounding just like your mom? And you're like, dude, I promised, I swore to myself that I would be different than my mom, and I'm exactly like my mom, right? <laughs> I'm ex- my, my family and my you know extended family have said, I, I actually am looking more and more like my father. I walk like my father. I talk like my father. Uh, and so you can't even help it. We swore we wouldn't be them, and then you absolutely become them. Our kids will walk in the path that we cut for them, like it or not. I have a picture for you to check out. Here's... This one, the the kid will always walk in your footsteps. And then there's this other one, which I think is pretty powerful. Now, it's not a person. It's it's actually a deer. But that little deer is following the mama deer. And that little deer doesn't really have any other path, right? This is a reality of life that comes from this proverb. Your kids are going to follow the path that you cut for them. Is it possible for that little deer to jump out and start going his way? Possible, right? Theoretically. Is that little deer going to go any other way than the way that the mom is going? No, it's not. Not in reality. Not in almost all situations. That's what proverbs are, right? Not promise. But almost in all situations, they're going to follow the path that's been cut out before them. They're going to follow in the footsteps of the person that's parented them. What an incredible opportunity for us as parents. Like in, in, in therapy, almost everything in adults' life that, that's going on has some attachment back to the, their, their own parents and the way their parents were walking. Almost always sometimes for bad, and often for good. So why, why do I uh, care about people so much? Why do I feel this way? Why am I so kind or whatever? It traces back to parents. Why do I have this uh, hurt? Why do I have this kind of stuff? It traces back to parents. Almost always in therapy, it goes back to parents. So in this passage, the righteous in Hebrew, that's that's a, a believing person who strives to live according to God's standards in their actual lifestyle. So This word has all that like in one little word, right? It says a person who's living that way, not just by voice, but in actuality. So someone who is walking with integrity, where their confession and their lifestyle match. So the greatest gift you as a parent could give to your child is to be righteous, is to be upright, and a person who walks with integrity. This creates a home and an atmosphere that will be a blessing for your kid. This proverb is a blessing for your kids, but it goes through you as parents. And I would say every parent, I can say this confidently, every parent in this room, you want your kid to be blessed. I do. I want my kids to be blessed. Every one of us want our kids to be blessed. Well, here's a word for wisdom from God. You want them to be blessed? Then walk with integrity. Don't be a person full of lies. Let your confession and your lifestyle match. When you walk with integrity as part of a Christian community, your kids will receive blessing from you and from God. Like that's how it's intended to be. There is something that we don't want from our kids or for our kids, and it's our next, our next proverb. It says, the lazy person claims there's a lion out there. If I go outside, I might be killed. And at first, this seems like a really weird Proverb, like, why is that in the Bible? That doesn't even make sense. Because the lazy person makes absurd, preposterous excuses for not working, right? Conjuring the most incredible of reasons to avoid the hard work of life. Pastor Jimmy mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the Bible got jokes. This is one of them. They're like saying, "Hey, that that lazy person. He's like, oh man, I can't go work. There's lions that will kill me out out in the street. But there's no the lions in the street. Lions live in." Ooh, the jungle, right? I know. But it's sleeping, right? In that song, at least. This proverb is saying, just don't be lazy. Now, I really just included this proverb because I thought it was funny, and I actually don't think it overly applies to uh, our church. I don't think it's overly helpful because most of our church, you guys work probably too hard. You need to find the proverb about resting, right? But it is helpful for, I was going to get to it, you tell your kids, right? (laughs) Right? So the parents, y'all working hard, but store this one and you say, hey, son or daughter, I got something for you. <laughs> you need to not be so lazy, right? You need to work hard. Uh, so for perhaps for us, it's not like not having a job. It may be something for us like procrastination of an undesirable task. Has anyone ever done that? Like there's something you have to do for work or or like in life and you're just trying to kind of avoid it. Like, and it's amazing, like, what kind of excuses people will come with, like you and I, like, kind of excuses we come up with, right, to dodge something that we don't really like. Like, have you ever been... Avoiding doing part of your work, and then you're like, oh, oh, I need to do this other thing, too. And like, oh, I definitely need to order detergent on Amazon, and I need to find a good price for that. And you're, like, doing all this other stuff to avoid the thing you're supposed to be doing. Has anyone else done that? And then, then you've had a really productive day. You've got a million things done, and you're like, but I didn't do the big thing that, like, I don't want to do, and I either don't like it or it's, like, too much work. And so I got all these things. I restrung my guitar. I cleaned my wind Like, the windowsill, sometimes you have to clean that, you know, and you're just avoid work, and that's kind of like this lazy person. So maybe we can can generate an untold amount of legitimate excuses why we didn't get to the work that we were supposed to get to, right? The Holy Bible just says, like, stop coming up with all the excuses. Just do the work. Don't be lazy. Our final proverb today about life touches on social responsibility. And so as lighthearted as the last one is, I think critically important this next one is. This one says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now, I want to I jump out right ahead before we get into this proverb. We just saw one about don't be lazy. So this proverb is not saying, hey, go give your money to someone who's not willing to work. It's not saying that. It's not saying go, you know, take that kind of thing. Th- this proverb is talking about persons who are defenseless. The wise and the godly person will speak for the speechless and take up the cause of the defenseless when you can do something for those people who cannot do something. If we have some level of position, power, or resources, we ought to use those to protect and benefit those who are unable to do so. Christians must speak for the unborn. Christians must fill in the gaps of our American foster care system because there are huge gaps. Christians must care for orphans on this planet and for people who are underprotected, people who are in dire circumstances. Look, I pray that you begin to pray how you could be part of the solution. I know it's overwhelming. You think about foster care. Foster care is huge. You know how many many orphans are in this world? Like kids without parents? Million. Like that's overwhelming. How can I possibly make a difference? What difference can I possibly make? The problem is so big, what I do doesn't matter. You ever feel that way? Like I I can't do anything. Like even if I I try to do the little thing, it's not going to matter. Well, I promise you. It matters to the kid that you adopt. It matters to the person who's released from slavery because you gave a little money. The child who gets an education or health care and safe environment because you went through one of those uh, Compassion International or World Vision and you gave $40 a month and that way they had a safe place to go and they got a meal and they got, and they got medicine and they got teaching from the Word of God. It matters to that person Next time you think of the lies of the devil that say it doesn't matter what you do, that's a lie. It absolutely matters to that person. It changes their entire world. You are more important and influential than you think, than you even can realize. And the devil has convinced us that we don't really matter and that we can't do anything. But he's wrong. And in the name of Jesus, we can release compassion and we can share goodness and we can make a difference in the lives of people all over this planet. Amen. Church, like I would say that you are already really good. God, like look at our church. Our church is really good. Most of these Proverbs, we got them nailed. But these Proverbs have been teaching us that, that really good is really cool, but you know what God wants for you? God wants for you to be great. Proverbs help us navigate this life in a way that we can be great and honor God in all things. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to worship one last time in song together. Jesus, only because of your love and sacrifice for us can we possibly follow wisdom. And only because of you can we make changes in our lives and in this world. God, I ask right now that you would mute the voice of the enemy that tells us that we can't make a difference. Would you mute the voice of the enemy that tells us that we don't matter and that we can't change things? But God, you can change things. You are powerful. If we are willing, and God, as a church, we want to rise up and say we are willing, and we want to follow you. We want to hear your words of wisdom, and we want to live in a way to honor you, God, both with our money and with our speech and with our hearts and with our care for the needy and compassion. There's all sorts of places, God, that you want us to step into, and we want to be willing to do that, so that you could be magnified, so that you could bring healing. To this world and goodness to people father god we ask that you would use us father god we ask for your holy spirit to come on us in a way that we never imagined or anticipated so that we could be filled with your supernatural power to make a difference to make a difference not because of our goodness but because of your goodness god not to make a name for ourselves, but to honor your name God, I praise you that I get to be around such amazing people who want to follow you, who have humble hearts and are hungry to know you, God, and to make a difference. And we at Jericho Road, we are available to be used by you in any way that you want, God. Would, we, would you join me in yielding over to God, whatever you need to yield to God. And take a minute to, just between you and him. And then we're going to just worship him together and then close.